Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. As a Detroiter, the revitalization of Detroit is so exciting. You know, Detroit is becoming a food mecca with restaurants popping up left and right. So one of my favorite things to do is check out the new restaurants downtown. So it was Saturday night, and I walked into this new restaurant and saw a family of four sitting next to me. You know, everyone was on their iPhone. You know, what looked like the father had his head down buried in his phone, um, and the woman next to him was the same, as well as the two teenagers at the table. So one teen, though, would occasionally look up, but it was just for a selfie, and then she'd bring her phone right back down. So my waiter comes by, and I order, and I'm back to, you know, being excited about my delicious meal that I'm about to experience, but I just kept glancing over at that table and saw this family still glued to their iPhones. No conversation going between the group at all. And it just got me thinking about uh, a couple of patients that I saw the other day. One patient was struggling from social anxiety and found it impossible to connect with people. And then I had a female executive who told me that she was getting sick over and over again, working eight to 10 hour days and would miss family functions. She was having trouble sleeping. And she said when she got home, she was just too tired to interact with anyone. And then so my most recent cardiac patient told me that literally his heart was breaking from loneliness. Today we're going to talk about a disease that could affect any one of us at any stage of our lives, and its impacts are real and detrimental to our health, loneliness. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call podcast. I'm Dr. Asha Shahjahan. Our goal is to give you information to help you and your families live healthier lives. My guest today is Betty Priscorn, Vice President of Community Health for Beaumont Health. Betty, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, Betty, you know, we've all been lonely. You know, I've been lonely. You've been lonely. I mean, loneliness really can grind us down and can affect our health, apparently. And, you know, I was reading an article that the former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy um, had put out, and he was saying that... Being lonely is a serious consequence to your health to the point that, you know, you could have problems with heart disease, cancer, depression, diabetes, and suicide, you know, and he even compared um, loneliness and social isolation to be associated with a reduction of lifespan, you know, similar to smoking 15 cigarettes a day, you know, and even it being a greater risk than being obese, so, like, this is crazy, Betty. You know, as a physician, this is really alarming. You know, you recently, were you in Atlanta, I think it was? Uh, yes. It, yeah, you were speaking at a, a national conference about this. You know, is loneliness an epidemic? I do think it is an epidemic. Um, when you look at one in five Americans, at 60 million people suffering from chronic loneliness, it does impact your health. As a physician, you know that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You said one in five. One in five. Oh, so that's like... Us in the studio here, there's five of us. So you're saying one of us in this room is, is either struggling with loneliness or knows someone that's lonely. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. Crazy. It was interesting. Um, nonprofit hospitals are required to do a community health needs assessment every three years. And we had done one six years ago. And it was often mentioned in our focus groups in the community. It was brought up in, in, in numerous uh, regional hospital areas that um, loneliness was playing a big um, uh, big role in the health of individuals in the community. When we did our community health needs assessment at Beaumont in 2016, it was really shocking to me that in all eight hospital regions, 
every single focus group in the community, loneliness was brought up as an issue that people were having that impacted health. And there was a lot of conversation about why is that. A lot of discussion um, focused on uh, youth and the amount of um, uh, social media technology that they're using. Instead of forming relationships, these kids are connected to their iPads, um, not learning how to talk to other people. Um, you might go out to dinner and see, you know, a family with, you know, two parents and two children um, sitting at the table and they're all on their cell phones, they're all on their yeah. iPads. And so you don't see families connecting in that way anymore. And it was interesting to me, um, a woman in one of the focus groups, we had talked about the different populations, about um, older people, that their children um, are grown and may have moved away. Families are more fragmented now. Um, years ago, you used to know your neighbors, you used to go and knock on their door. You very rarely see neighbors yeah. interacting and socializing yeah, it's anymore. It's interesting that you say that. So um, my mother and father are both from India. Um, they're immigrants, and they came in the 1970s. And one of the things that my mom told me over and over again was that when she first came to this country, she was super lonely. And she said it really wasn't the culture shock uh, as much or, you know, she said it was more so the fact that when she was in India, everyone knew each other. You know, it was like cheers. Everybody knows my name, you know. Um, and people would come over unexpectedly and that was the norm. And then here in the States, she said she felt so isolated because the houses were spread apart. Nobody really knew their neighbors, um, especially in the winter months, people were inside. And so that was like the biggest thing that she struggled with when she first came to the state. So, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the fact that people don't really go over to each other's homes anymore. No, and it was interesting, the populations that we had in our focus groups too. We had um, educators, we had um, service group representation, we had, you know, people from the community there. And it was a common theme throughout our interviews with them about the impact of loneliness. And it was interesting when, um, you know, a married woman said, well, you know, you can be married and still be lonely too. So two types of loneliness, really, you've got transient or temporary loneliness, and then you have individuals that have chronic loneliness. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the married couples because a lot of studies show that being married is associated with having um, healthier behaviors. But I guess in the sense of loneliness, you know, I guess there's different, like you said, different types of loneliness like you could be surrounded by people and still feel lonely right absolutely absolutely um, and there is you know there is a different we all as you had mentioned we all experience loneliness at one time in our lives you know if our children are going away to college um, if we move to a new city if we've had someone in our life pass away um, it, it could also be um, young people going away to college it's um, it was interesting I was a clinical therapist um, in a in my previous life and and um, it was amazing to me the number of youth, uh, young adults, I should say, their first year in college, how hard that was for them to yeah. leave their home. A lot of loneliness there. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that we talk about, you know, we're talking about loneliness and the effect it has on health. And, you know, some people might think, oh, it's just more like psychological pain um, of being lonely. And we've all experienced it at one point. But, you know, there's actual documentation from evidence-based studies about the, in the decrease in your inflammatory response and the decreased regulation of cortisol, like the stress hormone, and that even, the, you know, the decrease in your immunity and the dysregulation of sleep. And it, it, to me, as a physician, I just find it's so 
um, interesting that we focus on, you know, obesity and making sure our patients, you know, diet and exercise and making sure they get their cardiovascular screens. But if loneliness is such a huge indicator of health and can affect your health in the same ways as these other diseases, it's like, what are we really doing um, to help people or screen people? Have you seen any, um, anything related to that as far, as far as screening? Well, absolutely. Um, the uh, cardiac rehab here at Beaumont, I know they screen people for loneliness, um, and it's becoming more and more um, common to do that. Oftentimes when people come in, and you might see this as a physician, people that are lonely tend to see their physicians more often yes, yes. and um, use services more often. But, you know, they oftentimes they feel empty and alone and unwanted. So they crave human contact, but their state of mind can make it more difficult for them to uh, initiate that contact also. You know, I think having chronic disease itself can be isolating. Um, I've had uh, patients who are cancer survivors, and prior to having their diagnosis, I mean, they're happy with their family and friends, and all of a sudden they get the diagnosis of cancer, and their life changes in so many ways. But the one thing that changes a lot for them is their social connection and support because they feel like no one understands what they're going through. And so I've seen a lot of relationship changes. You know, if you get diagnosed with diabetes, suddenly you have to eat differently or, you know, you have to see the doctor more often and it can really impact relationships. So, you know, I really feel for my patients that are going through um, chronic illness and trying to find support. And it can be really isolating to have disease. And, And like you mentioned, I have patients coming in a lot, uh, sometimes just to just to chat. Um, and we'll just sort of talk about things. And, you know, I, I, I feel like loneliness is an important indicator. You know, you have this empty feeling and we should be taken seriously, just like hunger or thirst or pain. And, you know, that kind of brings me to the fact of, you know, I think that loneliness should be considered a vital sign. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I absolutely do think that that should happen. Um, we know when um, patients come in and they might be talking about other symptoms. You had talked about chronic disease. But oftentimes people that are lonely may be drinking more. They may be um, doing things that uh, otherwise would impact their health. So I do think um, you you might be aware that the UK is much more progressive in, in treating and assessing loneliness. They actually have a, a minister, I think, of loneliness. Yeah, I heard in January they did... Um, appoint someone. I thought that was so progressive. It is. And they, you know, they've got some great programs. They have a silver line where they have um, uh, volunteers call and check on older adults. They have something that's called a men's shed where men can come together and and connect and talk. So let's talk about that for a second. You know, we, we think about loneliness. A lot of times we think about the elderly population. We think about social media. We always think about, you know, our, the children, but men, that's an interesting population when we talk about loneliness, because I feel like women, and I might be biased being a woman, but we're more forthcoming in our feelings. We're more forthcoming in, you know, I, I feel lonely, I want to talk to someone, and we can just pick up the phone and call a girlfriend. You know, men don't really behave in the same way usually. You know, what are your thoughts about men? You know, it's interesting because I think men are brought out to be strong and independent, and it's much harder, I don't want to say for men to share their feelings, but they 
um, and, and oftentimes if um, you have a man who's a workaholic or their work is their focus of their life, it's much harder for them to form those connections. And oftentimes when men retire, that's when we're seeing a lot of um, issues of loneliness too. No one wants to have that big L loser on their on their forehead. So right. it's hard for men to reach out and say they're lonely. So yeah. it, we have to find ways to... Um, have people develop relationships better yes. and you know research has shown it's n it's not having significant number of friends and relationships you know having two to five friends with with um, solid relationships not superficial relationships yeah. but really has shown to have a great impact on health so that's what we often do too is try to get people just to have start with one friend and develop a plan on how they can reach out. You know, that it's interesting that you talk about friends because, you know, as we were talking about social media, you know, I'm guilty myself of having over 200 friends or, you know, on <laughs> Facebook or, you know, people have 500 friends and so many followers and it's almost an indication of, you know, how popular you are. Or, you know, people might think, oh, this person would never be socially isolated. They have so many people around them. Um, but I feel like there are studies out there about how much time you spend on social media. And my, my question, I guess, is, you know, how much social media might be too much social media for, you know, a lot of people feel isolated in their homes and they feel like social media is a good way to connect with people and talk with people. Can you speak to that at all? That, that is really interesting. And um, you're, you're so right. There's pros and cons of social media. Um, I just cringe when I have friends say that their child has 500 friends on Facebook and how popular they are. And hey, I, mean, I think, oh, I have not good, too. not good. But, you know, research does show two hours a day is really a negative for a child, very negative for them to be on Facebook that long. So we recommend um, never more than a half an hour a day. Oh, that's but it, it's also funny. Um, we have friends that we go out to dinner with and there's a uh, some very good friends of ours. I noticed um, the gentleman was always holding his phone, checking his phone through the whole meal. And it was um, starting to get really annoying. I thought, why are we even out to dinner if you're so connected to your phone? So I said, okay, first person who looks at their phone buys dinner. Hey, it's worked. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so I, I just do think we need to have more face-to-face -face contacts. Yeah. Um, we need to have those uh, deeper and more meaningful relationships. Mm -hmm. um, we know that research shows that um, the, um, the value of having those relationships in life for longevity, if you might be familiar with the um, Blue Zones concept. Oh, I love Blue Zones. We, we, we do too. And what we do is try to emulate a lot of what they do, have... Um, have people form groups and relationships, small groups where they can, they call them wise, that um, people that are might be like themselves, that they can get to know better, um, come together, um, have that sense of community. There was a recent study in the UK that stated 3.6 million people aged 65 and older, television was their main form of company. And 38% of people with dementia said they lost their friends after their diagnosis. And about eight out of 10 caregivers felt lonely or isolated as the result of looking after their loved one. And over 9 million adults are often or always lonely. So, you know, we mentioned a lot of about the focus about the elderly. We talked a little bit about men and women, but let's think about our children. So, you know, we talked about social media and isolation. How do we keep our kids from being lonely? 
Well, there's several factors that um, play into feelings of loneliness with young children. And it's really, really important for parents and educators, particularly when children are just starting to enter school, to um, observe them. You know, is the child having a problem fitting in in the classroom? Are they being rejected by their peers? Are they lacking the social skills um, and knowledge that's needed to make friends? Mm -hmm. And so it's... um, when you are a child and it, failure to socially connect with people, it's a reason for most school dropouts. Um, one of the things I'm really proud of is um, we have seven child and adolescent health centers in the Beaumont system. Mm-hmm. And these are very warm and welcoming centers. Um, they serve children from the ages to 5 to 21. We have a large LGBTQ population. So it really is an opportunity for us to work with youth and also to work with educators on is there issues? Is this normal behavior for a child or is this non-typical behavior for a child that should be looked at so an intervention can happen to address it if necessary? You know, I'm glad you mentioned the teen centers. I love your teen centers. Um, I took a a group of medical students to River Rouge uh, Teen Center and we gave a presentation on um, sexually transmitted diseases, um, hand hygiene, uh, various topics that are relevant to teenagers. And as I was watching the medical students give their presentation, the one thing I noticed is you have a few people in the front row raising their hands, really active and engaged. And then you have people in the back kind of falling asleep, doing their own thing. And then in the middle, you have a couple of kids that look really interested, but sort of timid. Um, and, you know, I was watching them and I kept thinking to myself, you know, is this kid getting bullied? Like, what's going on? And it sort of brings me to the topic of, you know, bullying and social isolation. We hear a lot about bullying. You know, as a parent, how do you protect your child from bullying and being socially isolated from friends? Because, you know, it's easy to say join a group, but then if you join a group and you're not, you know, involved or you're not part of the group, like per se, you're there, but you're not welcomed. How do we train or encourage our kids to not bully each other and not to socially isolate each other. Do you have any strategies on that? Well, I think that that plays into immediate attention from an adult. I do think there needs to be an adult intervention there. You had mentioned River Rouge. Um, They've got a great restorative justice program there. Mm -hmm. But the school treats children as a family. I have been very impressed with the culture of the school. And as we look at that, I think that plays an important role, too, that um, peers learn um, with adult intervention, um, there can be uh, ways to address that, whether it's in school, whether it's in a workplace, but it, it does take an intervention. So a lot of education, we do a lot of educational programs and trainings with the teachers. You know, we're talking about social isolation. And uh, now we a lot of people talk to family and friends. You know, I mentioned my mom coming from India. I mean, now she can, you know, FaceTime her, you know, relatives in India, whereas when she came back in the 70s, that wasn't, um, you know, that wasn't common. So I guess my question here is, is how important do you think it is to have that physical touch and be be in the presence of a person as opposed to just, you know, talking on the phone or chatting online? Like, what is the importance of, you know, having a family meal together, like in the presence of another human being? 
I think that's important. I think you really need to look at the situation too and why a person is lonely. Um, individuals with chronic loneliness, um, it really is their perception. They don't have the number of relationships that they would like. They feel inadequate. So oftentimes it's working with that individual on how how do you connect with other individuals. Um, we talked about superficial relationships, but it goes deeper than that. What questions can you ask a person? You know, um, what got you interested in boats or, mm-hmm. um, you know, just it's almost a training that needs to happen. Um, one of the things that we do is um, to address uh, isolation in the communities is um, the programs that, that my um, division provides. Um, we Use a, it's called the patient and family center care model. We don't go into the community and tell the um, residents, this is what you need and this is what we're going to do, but we let them tell us what they need. It's been a real yeah, learning experience important. for me. Um, we have a lot of diverse populations in the eight regions that we serve, and it has been so rewarding for me to see a lot of the immigrants coming to our meetings. We have um, community coalitions that uh, they partner with us. So we partner with the other hospital systems, we partner with nonprofits, and we have the community tell us what they feel that they need to help improve their health. And it's been interesting to see the response to this, um, not only from the coalition perspective, we have a lot of young adults coming. We have a lot of um, older adults coming. We have a lot of lonely adults coming. And it was amazing to me as we ruled out some of the programs in the community, the connections that started happening with the individuals as they engaged with others. So yeah. for instance, we have a cardio drumming class where there's um, a gentleman. He's not really too old. A, a little... Um, uh, struggles with some of the social aspects of interacting, but never ever misses an event, um, has developed relationships um, with the other people that come. We found in our nutrition and cooking classes that people didn't want to leave after the class. Once they started talking and connecting with everyone else, those relationships started forming. And um, our, all of our programs have seemed to grow from these social connections that are happening. Um, we have walking groups that people engage in. There's small walking groups and large walking groups. They can walk by themselves. They can walk with um, another small group. And just by that um, interaction of walking with people every single week, our, these numbers have been growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So it, it really is uh, a great intervention that we've seen to address loneliness in the communities that we're working in. You know, I wonder if people realize that social connection is associated with a 50% reduction of early death, 50% reduction. So just by participating in something with somebody else can really be a protectant, you know, to your health. Um, you know, you, you mentioned something about adults, and adults are spending most of their time at work. And so what are your thoughts in terms of people being lonely in, at work? You know, Vivek Murthy, the former Surgeon General, he, you know, he wrote, he's been a big expert on loneliness, and he wrote an article about how a lot of adults are lonely at work. What are some ways that people can either, one, identify that they are lonely at work, and two, what can they do about it? Well, I think as an employer that you need to recognize a more connected workforce is more likely to have 
greater uh, fulfillment for employees, productivity, and engagement. Um, I always tell my team that you spend more time with your coworkers than you do with your own family, and it really is important for us to create the best culture that we can at work. And so I think we need opportunities for uh, workers to share information with others about themselves and to connect with their coworkers. Um, at our team meeting yesterday, we were talking about different personality styles, and we have a younger employee who talks, she's a real rah-rah, go-get-em yeah. type person, and she loves doing icebreakers. And I thought, what a great role for her with our team. Yeah. These safe things to do that people can share information, and I think the more you get to know your coworkers and make it a more enjoyable environment, I think that really helps uh, employees to become engaged, um, to have those relationships at work. And I think it's employee retention, too, when you create that culture, that positive culture with your your employees. It's funny that you mentioned that. I, you know, I was just uh, talking to a friend of mine the other day, and she told me how her husband's work, every Thursday they have a DJ that comes <laughs> and just plays music, and everyone sort of gets up and starts dancing or, or whatever. And she said that she went to pick up her husband one day, and she's like, what, what is he doing? You know, and she's like, what a cool workplace, but it it does uplift the spirits. It does get people to interact with each other. Um, Another thing I wanted to to talk to you about was the, you know, the fact of that social touch. You know, there uh, was a family therapist, Virginia Satire, that said, you know, hugs are important for survival. And there was a study that was done that uh, looked at uh, brain images of people who touched another person, like holding hands or a hug, versus someone that did not. And they, they saw the activity in the brain was much increased when you have physical touch with another person. And she mentions that, you know, you need four hugs a day for survival and eight for maintenance and 12 for growth, you know, and, and, you know, you might look at that and think, okay, that's, that's kind of silly or warm and fuzzy, but I actually looked into it and hugging a person in a day, it, it increases your oxytocin levels. It increases your serotonin levels. And these are the things that we need to kind of prevent um, anxiety and depression. So um, I think, you know, even just shaking someone's hand or giving them a hug or giving a social smile can really impact another person's day. That, that's interesting that you said that. Um, there was an employee a few months ago. Um, you know, I think I'm a person that sees the glass this half full. And um, I have been amazed um, when I'm out smiling at people, just a smile. Everyone seems to smile back. Yeah. Um, it, it really does have an impact on people. And a few months ago, there was an employee, and um, I said good morning to her every day. She often didn't respond, mm-hmm. did not make eye contact. And when she was leaving, she came to my office and said, I want to let you know what a difference that made in me working here by you saying hello every day. And I was like, oh my gosh, the simple things that we can do in life to really impact a person and how they feel. You never know. Oftentimes um, people might not pick up uh, a cue. If someone's being silent or quiet, they might think they're mad at me. You know, what did I do wrong? Um, They don't like me. But you always really need to reframe what you're thinking. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they experienced something terrible. But just knowing that such little simple things can change people's life. I mean, that really had a big impact on me about, wow, that was nothing. That was really nothing I did. Yeah, it took no effort from your end. No, You know, a lot of people might feel uncomfortable to either admit that they're lonely or they may not even know if they're lonely. How do you suggest people 
um, tackle that or who, you know, who should they talk to or how do they develop a plan for that? Well, there is a difference between temporary or transient loneliness and chronic loneliness. If someone is um, cr- has been chronically lonely and this is more uh, might be an issue to go and speak with um, a clinical therapist, if someone is experiencing temporary or transient loneliness, I would strongly encourage them when they visit their doctor to bring it up in a discussion. As a physician, what would be your advice on how a patient could best speak with their doctor about being lonely? You know, I think that, like you mentioned, this transient and chronic, when you're thinking of transient loneliness, you're at the prevention stage, sort of like, what can Mm -hmm. I do to prevent this from getting worse? And having a conversation with your doctor about that is is great, because as a physician, I can give you, you know, tips and evidence-based um, theories and suggestions that could help you. When you're at the chronic stage, you're really at the intervention stage. This is time that we really need to intervene and do something about this, because now you're starting to have some health effects. And I think it's perfectly acceptable, you know, to sit with your doctor and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, or I need help with this. And a good time to say it, you might think like, when do I really bring it up? We're talking about my sore throat or, you know, but I think when the physician says, you know, any changes, anything new happening, you know, that's a way to bring it up. Um, uh, Some offices have the screening tool. And so that's also a way to bring it up. But, you know, have you been lonely? Has there been any changes? I think those are two ways that you can bring it up to your doctor. And, you know, it is ultimately our responsibility as healthcare providers to take care of you. So if you are seeing a doctor and they are not paying attention to you or they seem dismissive and you're not comfortable, then you really need to think about how you can approach that in a different way or maybe see a different provider because there should be a comfort level between you and especially your primary care doctor. Oh, another question, you know, how do we, you know, if you yourself might not be struggling from loneliness, most likely someone you're, you know is. So how do we be an ally? We, we talked about a couple things that could be done. You know, if you're an employer, you can really look at it in building your team so that there's more employee engagement. You know, if you are, um, you know, living in a community, try to get involved in the community. But how can you be an ally? You know, you were an ally to that, that lady that you were talking about. You smiled at her, that simple smile. But what else can we do to help our community be less lonely? And how do we really go about identifying loneliness in ourselves too? Well, I think the first thing that someone needs to look at is identifying if they are lonely. You know, we had mentioned earlier, that is really hard to take a look at. It's a denial process. And many people that are social butterflies, you might not realize, but they could be very lonely too. It's, you know, it really is how you perceive the relationships that you have. So I think it's, um, if you are feeling lonely, that you acknowledge it. Okay, what is... I'm lonely. You know, it's it is hard to to do that. And then to develop a plan, do one small step about and, and it's taking a risk, but it's it's actually having a plan of what you're going to do. How are you going to um reach out? It might be um doing a safe activity, inviting someone out to go for coffee, inviting someone to go out for a walk. Um, planning to go out by yourself and, you know, test your comfort level. Can you go and have a half an hour out in, um, you know, uh, uh, going to a coffee shop and sitting there by yourself? So it really is having a plan in place and celebrating those small successes and trying one friend, just, you know, developing that one really good relationship. You know, I I like that you say that, Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that, 
um, you know, if you're someone who's a workaholic and all of a sudden you retire, that you have this sense of loneliness and you said, you know, have a plan. I like that. As a, as a family doctor, we, we focus on prevention a lot. And I think that if you are currently not lonely, you should also think about preventing yourself from becoming lonely in the future. You know, we talked about different types of relationships and, you know, you might have two or three friends. And I guess I would say sometimes you might have to reevaluate your friendships. So, uh, you know, there's all these three, um, you know, categories of friendships. And one is a structural friendship, whether or not you have a friend or not. Is there a physical person that you see regularly? So that's like a checkoff, yes or no. And then uh, the second one is, is it functional? So does the relationship really feed you? You know, are you with someone that constantly is complaining to you all day long? You're not really getting anything out of the relationship? Or you're, are you with a Debbie Downer that's constantly telling you like, <laughs> oh my God, did you see the news? You know, this many people died. And it's like, all you hear is like negativity. So that's sort of the functional piece. And then the quality, you know, the quality of the relationships, you know, is it a draining to you? Is it helping you be a better person? And I think that's where the social isolation loneliness piece comes um, in the fact that, you know, we have a lot of relationships, but is it a really good quality relationship? And that is critical, Asha. You talked about quality and quantity. It's that quality of the relationships that you have. Absolutely. Well, fascinating conversation about loneliness and its effects on health. Thank you so much, Betty Priscorn, for being here today and helping us understand this loneliness epidemic. You know, and I think, you know, we need to be proactive. When are we going out for wine next? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, our own little social group that we have. Yes, I'm I'm looking forward to that. So. My co-host, Dr. Nick Gilpin, and I are working on future Beaumont House Call podcasts. We'll explore innovations in cancer treatment, particularly the proton technology. We're also looking at smarter ways to help people manage diabetes and a podcast on mindfulness. We also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to podcast at beaumont.org. In a future podcast, we'll be answering our mailbag. If you like what you heard on today's podcast, you can get more information at beaumont.org slash podcast. We leave you today with this healthy thought. Loneliness might not go away anytime soon as a healthcare crisis. With greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety, loneliness can kill you. It's really important to recognize the signs and symptoms of social isolation. I know that loneliness is preventable, and you now have some tools to change it. If you're lonely, reach out to your doctor. As a physician, it's our job to help you in any of your health struggles. And if you don't have a doctor that you feel comfortable talking about your loneliness to, maybe it's time to get a new doctor. Life on the couch, binge-watching TV can look awfully tempting, but it's important to consider some social interactions in your daily life. After all, we're not put alone in this world and we all do need each other.